wrapping up our strap series this morning. And uh, if I have said anything that you have found helpful in any way, uh, it's because it was either inspired by um, or straight up stolen from this guy right here, Ron Blue. Ron, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, Sean, I say everything I have is copyrighted, so copy it right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I've done my best, man. I've done my best. So you have been in the financial world for, you were just saying, 56 years. Right. Tell us a little bit about your journey and maybe some of the things that you have learned uh, along the way. I graduated from IU in 1967 with an MBA, went to work on Wall Street as a CPA, and eventually started a, an accounting firm, and then I started a financial planning firm, and then I started a training firm. And as I look back, I can see God's hand in many, many ways. But if I could sum it all up, I would say Wall Street provides knowledge but God's Word provides wisdom. Mm. And what I've been privileged to do is to bring the two together in biblical financial wisdom. And what I've found is that God's Word speaks to every circumstance at any time under any set of circumstances for everyone. Yeah. It's all inclusive. Yeah. And not only that, but it's pretty simple. You know, the messages that you've given have not been complex. It, they have It's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. They're simple, it's relevant, and easily repeatable. Mm -hmm. So, like yeah. all of Scripture. Yeah, that's right. And really, it comes down to, to four H's. Uh, there's the financial um, heart, health, habits, and then and hope. And we've looked at three of those so far. But when you think about those four H's, uh, which one to you is the most important? The heart, <laughs> no question. The first decision that somebody has to make is who owns it. And that changes everything. It's the beginning of discipleship. It's the beginning of obedience. And until you answer that question, you're not a steward. Mm. You're an owner. And yeah. the owner has all the rights, and the steward only has responsibilities. Oh, that's good. Can you say that again? Because that, that might be the best thing that's said all this series. <laughs> well, as the owner, and God is the owner, yeah. he has all the rights. Yeah. And I am, as a steward, the one responsible for managing his resources that he entrusts to me. So I have responsibility, but I don't have rights. Mm, that's good. So you once had the opportunity uh, to share the five habits that we looked at last week uh, in front of Congress. And so things like spend less than you earn, avoid the use of debt, create financial margin. How did that go? I mean, clearly they listened to your words of advice and wisdom. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. But, but what was it like speaking in front of Congress about biblical principles to financial wisdom? And uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Well, actually it was a subcommittee that Dan Coates was a part of and he knew who I was and invited me to testify before. The Senator Dodd from Connecticut was the chairman of the subcommittee. Okay. So Senator Dodd said to me, he said, what would you tell the American family? And right off the top of my head, without even thinking, I thought, he's going to laugh at this. <laughs> I said, spend less than you earn, avoid the use of debt, build margins, set long-term goals so you trade off the short-term and the long-term. And he picked up his pencil, he wrote them down, and he repeated them back to me. And he said to me, he said, you know, it seems to me that that would work at any income level. And God gave me something to say. And I said, you're right, Senator, including the United States government. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. And that's what I love. And you talked about it already. Like in Scripture, it is practical. And it is wisdom for whatever stage 
you find yourself in, yeah. in your finances. When you're dealing with principles, yeah. you're dealing with things that don't change. So those four principles plus give generously, which I added later. But when he said what he did, I realized that God's word spoke at any income level, mm -hmm. any level of wealth, poverty to billionaire, mm -hmm. the principles don't change. So what words of hope would you give to someone who maybe finds themselves living paycheck to, to paycheck? Hope is an uh, interesting word. As a matter of fact, in my quiet time yesterday, it was on hope. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the suggested reference was uh, Romans 5 verses 1 through 5, huh. where it says, hope does not disappoint, yeah. for God has poured out his love to us through the Holy Spirit. and so. Hope can only come in a person. That's what the devotional said to me is, Jesus is the answer to hope. Yeah. And so he said, he pours out hope into my heart. So if I start with him, I can have hope. And I imagine the same advice would be given to those who find themselves maybe with some financial stability. Don't put your hope in your finances. For sure. In fact, I believe that people are looking for either security or success or significance that money might provide. Mm -hmm. And I know this, you can't accumulate enough to be secure, successful, or significant. Mm -hmm. I've worked with people at all levels and money will never ever be the answer to those three goals uh, in life. So any final words of wisdom when it comes to our finances and mastering your money, which I think would make a really good book title. Uh, you, should, you should maybe think about that, Ron. I'll think about <laughs> okay. that. Okay, all right. Well, you know, I was walking out of church one time, long time ago, and somebody said, you're a financial expert, aren't you? And I said, well, I suppose. And they said, what advice would you give? And right off the top of my head, I said, spend less than you earn and keep doing it for a long time and you'll be just fine. <laughs> you'll be just fine. <laughs> That's good. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for uh, helping me just plan this series and really appreciate you and Judy and your ministry over the last 56 years and know that it's gonna, gonna continue uh, well, well, well beyond. I appreciate, Sean, the way that you've presented it. And as I've walked away from all the messages you've given, I said, you didn't give my message, you gave your message. It came from your heart and it was so encouraging that you weren't repeating stuff that I had said. You were, it was, you owned it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, man, that, Ron has been such a, a great resource to me as I've, I've been planning and preparing for this series, as I've, as I've preached uh, each week. And uh, there's actually been multiple times where we have met for coffee or in my office, and I'm like, okay, what do you think about this or what about this? And I would ask him a question, and in the most humble way possible, he would say, well, you know, I actually wrote a book about that one time. I'm like, okay. Uh, and yet every single week of this series, he and his wife, Judy, have been right up in here in the front with their notebooks out, taking notes as if I have anything to say to them on this topic. But like we said in this video, uh, this is not rocket science. As we talk about the, the biblical principles for how to manage and handle our finances, it is not rocket science. The Bible has so much wisdom and insight for how to view and manage and use our money. And these principles have been around for centuries. Knowing these principles is simple. Putting them into practice 
is not always easy. Isn't that the way that wisdom usually works? It's really easy to have it locked up in our minds, but that 18 inches between what we know and our heart, what we do, can oftentimes be a pretty large gap. I'm telling you, though, when you put these biblical principles into practice, everything changes. So as we wrap up today, uh, I want to quickly recap where we have been, and then we will, we will close off um, our strapped sermon series. And if this is your very first time at Sherwood Oaks, uh, number one, just want to welcome you and just say I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, maybe this is your first time here with us in this series. What I've been saying over the last few weeks is let's all, we can just take a deep breath, because yes, we are talking about money today. But it's not because we want anything from you. It's because we want something for you. The money conversation is one that all of us are having. It's taking place in our homes, in our relationships. Money, it can be consuming sometimes. It can be consuming because we are strapped for cash. It can be consuming because we are strapped by cash. Man, my conviction is that Scripture just has a lot to say about this. And so as a church, we feel like this is the exact conversation we need to enter into and share what God's Word has to say. And we've outlined this series uh, kind of based on these four H's that Ron compiled of financial wisdom. And it starts with the heart. Like if you get your heart in the right place, then everything else is going to follow. And, and, And the heart of a steward says that God owns it all and I am just managing his resources that he has entrusted to me. And when we start with that as our foundational belief and desire, then everything else begins to work itself out. Once your heart is in the right place, then you are able to accurately assess your financial health. If you start with a place of contentment, knowing and believing that, that if you cannot be content with where you are now and with what you have today, there is no way that tomorrow when you might have more, you're going to be content. You're just going to be as discontent then as you were yesterday and tomorrow as you were that day. It starts with learning how to be content with what we currently have. And if we do, then all of those pieces of our financial pie will slice themselves the way that we should. And we said there's really only five ways that you can slice that pie. You can live on it, you can give it, you can owe taxes, you can owe debt, and you can grow it. And someone said to me a couple of weeks ago, once your pie hole is saying the right thing, (laughs) that God owns it all, then all the slices will come out the way that they should. When you have the right heart, you have an accurate assessment of your financial health, then you start to develop these new habits, habits like spending less than you earn, giving generously, avoiding the use of debt, planning for financial margin, setting long-term goals so that you're not tempted by the short-term want uh, to get in the way and hijack those financial goals. And these new habits are so important to help us get to where we want to go. Because again, as someone shared with me last week, people do not decide their futures, they decide their habits, and their habits decide their futures. And that's true for a lot of things in life, including our finances. And so set good habits today, and they will help inform your financial future. And all of this comes together for this last H over here, hope, hope. This is the piece that we are looking at today. When you put 
into practice, these financial principles that we have looked at during this series, you will begin to experience hope as you find that there is more margin in your money than what you thought was there. You'll find hope as you realize and get to the end of the month and see that you still have more money at the end of the month instead of month at the end of your money. You will begin to experience some breathing room, something that I think that all of us desire more of in our life and in our finances. You'll be able to feel maybe some freedom that you have never felt before. And it's going to allow you to live more, to give more, to grow more, and to hopefully owe less. And so that is how all of these uh, four H's come together. And if you want to take a little bit of a deeper dive, if you want to, to maybe learn more about one of these, or if you would just like someone to sit down with you and go over your budget, uh, maybe help you look towards some investments or, or anything that we've talked about in this series, we are raising up a team of trained volunteer financial counselors that would love to come alongside and walk with you. Uh, and so if you want to go ahead and you can pull out your phone, we've got a little survey survey. Uh, you can scan that QR code. It's going to be up there for, for a little bit. And, and you can just answer a couple of questions and we'll have someone reach out to you and, and, and help you take your next steps or help you uh, get some things in order that you have wanted to for a long time. Uh, this spring, Ron is going to teach a six-week class on this stuff so you can hear uh, from the guru himself. Uh, or if you are a financial counselor or maybe you have learned some things about finances and you want to come alongside and help others. Uh, we are, are looking for more people to join this volunteer team. You can scan that code, let us know, and we'll be in touch with you as well. But today, as we look at this final H, uh, let's open up God's Word together. If you have a Bible or Bible app that you like to use, turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to find our text for this morning. And as you move in your kind of finances from from struggling to surviving to stable to secure and then hopefully maybe one day surplus, what you'll find is that you have a little bit more margin in your money. And whenever you find that you've got a little bit more margin, the question that we all have to ask is, what am I going to do with this margin? And the answer to that question largely depends on where you are. Uh, maybe for you, the wisest thing that you can do with that margin is start tackling your consumer debt. And so you've got some credit cards, you've got some loans, and you just start paying one of those off. And then once you pay that off, you snowball it into the next. And before you know it, you're just able to give more and more and more to, towards paying off your consumer debt. For some people, the best use of that margin that they find in their money might be to put away three to six month emergency funds. So if a catastrophe happened in your life, it's not going to create this added burden of financial stress. And so maybe for you, it's putting some of that margin away. Or for you, you find a little bit of extra margin in your money and you find the joy of being able to give to that ministry or that organization or that person that you believe in, that you want to come alongside of and support. Here's what I found in my life, and as I've walked with others through this journey, if your heart is in the right place and you believe that God owns it all, when you start finding a little bit more margin in your money, the answer is going to come to you. Like, God's going to reveal what you can do with that extra. But what has been a temptation for me 
over the years, and maybe you can relate, is that whenever I get just a little bit more financial margin in my life, I want to swing the door wide open and cut that live piece of my pie bigger than it ever has been before. Like I get a little bit of financial margin, I'm like, yes, what can I go out and buy? How can I spend this? Or maybe you are the opposite and your instinct is to grow that slice. You increase that grow slice of your financial pie. You just want to put a little bit more of it back, hoping that one day you will reach that, that, that kind of nebulous number of enough. And I think we see both of these play out in our text today. Look at this story that Jesus tells. It's in Luke chapter 12 starting in verse 15. It says, Then he said to him, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And so this guy's margin meter all of a sudden increased, and now he has this decision to make. What am I going to do with the extra that I now have? And spoiler alert, this section isn't called the parable of the rich fool because he made a wise choice. (laughs) Verse 18. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Did you see what he did? What were the two slices of the pie that he immediately cut just a little bit larger? The grow and the live. He tears down his perfectly good barns that had faithfully fed he and his family all of these years to build bigger ones, to put even more away. He increased that grow slice of his pie, but he also increased the live slice. With all of this newfound financial margin, he decides to eat, drink, and be merry, which is the equivalent of going on vacations, living off of the interest, retiring early to play more golf or pickleball. (laughs) He makes all of these plans for all of this money without one time consulting the person who actually owns it. Without asking to himself, what does the true owner want me to do? Because as stewards, God, the owner, has all the rights and we have all the responsibilities. And so he takes this financial blessing And he looks for ways to serve himself instead of the one that it actually belongs to. And God, who owns it all, knows the foolishness of this decision. Continues in verse 20. God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? I don't think that God's punishing this man for the financial decision that he made, how to use his wealth. I think the larger point that Jesus wants us to see is that if we only use our money, our margin to increase our live or our grow slices of the pie, there will come a time, maybe even suddenly, when we realize the foolishness of that choice. When we realize that we could have made a better investment with what God entrusted to us. 
Jesus closes with this in verse 21. This is how it will be with those, with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. If we just store up for ourselves, then there's going to come a day where everything is going to be a loss. There's going to come a day in all of our lives where our family members will go through the stuff that we have stored up for ourselves on earth and they're going to make a quick decision. Keep, throw away. Keep, throw away. And some of it's going to land in a basement someplace and some of it's going to land in a landfill. And what Jesus is saying is, man, instead of just storing up for yourselves treasures here on earth that are going to be gone and have no value to you after this life, send them ahead, store up treasures in heaven, be rich towards God. When we use our margin for more than just ourselves, we are making an investment in eternity And we are becoming rich towards God. In other words, our financial hope isn't just for us. It is for the hope of others too. And so how do we become rich towards God? We do it by using our margin to build his kingdom, not to build bigger barns. And I'll tell you, that applies to any resource that God has entrusted to us. Oftentimes when we think about our resources, we think about our our treasures, we think about our finances, but God has entrusted us the resource of our time, of our abilities and our talents. And when we turn all of those over and we say, God, you are the owner, I am the manager, how do you want me to use my time, my talent, my treasure? We are making an investment into God's kingdom. And this morning, I want to introduce you to three young ladies who are using their resources to build God's kingdom instead of their own. And in doing so, they are bringing hope to some people who desperately need it. Would you please help me welcome them up to the stage this morning? Good morning. Good morning. It's been so great having you all up um, these first two services, and thank you for making time to to share with us this morning. So as we uh, kick off, why don't you just go down the line, introduce yourself, where you're from, and what brought you to to Bloomington? Okay, my name is Hannah, and I am from Warsaw, Indiana. (laughs) (laughs) I am... I came to Bloomington because I'm studying at IU, and I'm studying tourism, hospitality, and event management. My name is Evie Murphy, and I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I also came to Bloomington to study at Indiana University, where my major is nonprofit management and leadership. Hi, my name is Mallory Hockemeyer. I am also from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I came to Bloomington to go to IU to pursue a degree in international studies and Germanic studies, which eventually led me on the path to nonprofit management as well. And I wanted them to share their majors uh, because I know we've got a lot of business leaders and influential people out here. And if you are looking for summer interns, young employees, you know, whatever it might be, cannot recommend these ladies highly enough to you. So last summer, your hearts were broken by, uh, by something and was drawn to a ministry called Destiny Rescue. Share with us a little bit about that story and who Destiny Rescue is. So uh, we have a lot of passion for Destiny Rescue. Um, They're an organization um, that locates women who have been caught in the sex trafficking trade um, across all nations. And what they do is they locate these girls and they organize these raids um, that um, 
go to brothels, villages, anywhere where these girls are stuck, and it brings them out of their situation. But it, it doesn't just rescue them, it um, provides medical rehabilitation, um, counseling services, and actually gives them the chance to hear the gospel for most of them for the, most, for the first time in their life. Um, and lastly, what it does is it provides employment opportunities for them. It, it teaches them skills, provides them with an education um, to actually work for themselves because um, part of the reason that these women are stuck in these trades is that they uh, live in countries where they don't have the opportunity to have jobs on their own. And so the only way for them to make money is, for to, sell, is to sell their bodies. And so... Destiny Rescue has all three of these components, and certainly there are many organizations that do rescues, and there are organizations that provide rehabilitation, but there are very few that provide all of these things together, as well as the gospel component, and that was very intentional, because um, we know that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, um, but Destiny Rescue exists to be a vessel for um, that life that only Christ can give and that he gives in abundance. And so they're there to help give these ladies the opportunity to have access to that life. And our foundation of just starting this work with Destiny Rescue has always just been this prayer that we've prayed so many times, just of God, just break our hearts for the things that break your heart. And that's something that is so important to align your heart with God's but it's also such a dangerous prayer because there's a lot of things in this world that absolutely break God's heart. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time that my heart was broken for Destiny Rescue, for girls and women stuck in sex trafficking, uh, even just people in general on our campus and in Bloomington who don't know Jesus, I was just thinking, I don't know how I would do this life without the hope of Christ that I get to have. Um, and it's heartbreaking to think that anyone doesn't have access to that, but especially people who are just in circumstances that I can't even imagine uh, going through myself. And I am just so grateful for Destiny Rescue because what they do, um, just coming alongside them is such a tangible way to help bring that hope to people that need it most. And um, it really is just so important to realize that compassion without action is a completely wasted reaction and that if we allow God to break our hearts, we have to do something with it and we can't just let it sit there. So what we're doing and why we're so passionate about Destiny Rescue um, is just our passion for stewarding the gifts that God's given us well. Um, we know that we all have different spiritual gifts and we really believe that as the body of Christ, we can make a difference for his kingdom if um, we really just put our all into serving his people. And we just want to always respond in gratitude for the freedom that we have in Christ by fighting for that same freedom for other people who don't yet have access to it. So well said, thank you for sharing that. So, Hannah, hearts are broken. You're like, we gotta do something. Uh, tell us what you're doing. So when Evie and Mallory told me this summer about Destiny Rescue and the work they do, um, I prayed the same prayer that I know they prayed, God break my heart for what breaks yours, and I just felt called to be a part of this team, uh, this team in Fort Wayne under Destiny Rescue called She Has a Name, which is a fundraising campaign, and we decided to come together and create a Bloomington branch, and so we have a team of students, and they have prayed that same prayer, and 
It has been so incredible to see how they have used their spiritual gifts, gifts of leadership, gifts of organization, anything you can think of. God really placed them in the right place to use those gifts, and it's been amazing to see God work through each and every one of them. Um, so some of the events that we've had are smaller events that fundraise, like a volleyball tournament, dinner and a movie, and also with the Fort Wayne team, they've had events as well throughout this entire school year and summer. And our goal is to raise $150,000 because that saves 100 girls, that financially provides for them to be saved, to get rehabilitation, education, and so far we've raised over $40,000, which has been such an incredible wow. thing. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? <laughs> that's amazing, that's amazing. And I just, I really don't want it to be lost on us here that you all are full-time college students that, that are doing this. Uh, you serve in multiple places here in our church, from greeters to kids ministry. I mean, you're super involved, and you're also leading this effort because your heart was broken by something. And Evie, I've heard you say it a couple of times, I just love that, that compassion without action is a wasted reaction. You're like, we don't want to have a wasted reaction here, and so you're doing something. And again, college students, don't imagine there's a whole lot of financial margin in your life right now, <laughs> but you're taking what God has given you your time, your talents, and you're putting it to use for his kingdom. And certainly, he's blessing it and is going to continue to bless it. So thank you so much for sharing with us this morning. Can we give them one more round of hand? So church, this is where we have the opportunity to step up and do what we can do. These ladies are doing what they can do. This is our chance to do what we can do. And yes, all through this year, as I've said, we don't want anything from you and we don't, but we do want to give you an opportunity to give and support this ministry and help these young ladies reach their $150,000 goal. Brad Pontius, our missions minister, has done research on Destiny. They were a new organization to us. He's been super impressed uh, with their ministry, with their efforts, the holistic way that they're approaching the gospel and, and their financial integrity. And so we feel confident in inviting you to give to this ministry and to these young ladies' goal. And so this week and next week, all right, this week and next week, everything that is given to the Dollar Club ministry is going to go directly to Destiny Rescue. So every $1 bill that you put in the box or donate someplace, that's going to go towards Destiny. If you want to designate a check, if you've got maybe a little bit more margin in your finances and you say, man, I just want to, to write this check, you can write it out to Sherwood Oaks, uh, designate it for Destiny Rescue, and we'll make sure that it gets out there. Uh, you can go online drop the, the, the Dollar Club box, give online, and we've got a box out in the lobby that you can drop it in as well. Let's come together. Let's come together and bring some hope into the lives of some people who could really use it. And really, that's what it's all about. This, this series has, has been building to, to this week. Financial hope isn't just for us. God invites us to use what he has entrusted to us to help bring others to him, to help bring hope to others. And when we do, we find the real blessing that money can provide, and it's not in more stuff. I want to take you back to March 16th, 2012. After a couple of hard years of discipline and financial sacrifice, Amber and I were finally debt-free 
except for our house. And we had just made the, the last deposit into our savings account to reach our long-term goal of a six-month emergency fund. And we went out to dinner that night and we celebrated, uh, you know, high-fiving each other. But uh, little did we know what God actually had in store for that money. Four days later, uh, right as I was about ready to, to go to bed on a, on a Tuesday night, uh, I looked down at my phone and I have a message from a lady in our church in Owensboro. And she said, hey, Sean, can you give me a call in the morning? Uh, I need to talk to you about something that's, uh, that's kind of important and, and pretty urgent. And so I didn't know what it was. Um, just, you know, that was all the context of the message. So I put my phone down uh, and, and prayed for her. God, give me wisdom as I, as I talked to her the next day. And so I, I called her on my way into the office and we had a, a good conversation. I said, okay, so what, what's going on? And, and the question that she asked me stopped me in my tracks. She said, Sean, have you and Amber ever considered adoption? And she knew some of our pregnancy struggles. She had seen us. Uh, we were foster parents for... Uh, a few sets of kids, she'd seen us with our foster kiddos. And she told me about her niece who was 17 years old and who was pregnant. And she knew as soon as she found out that she didn't want to have an abortion, but she also knew 17 and coming from a pretty difficult life herself that she wasn't going to be able to raise this child and give it the home that it needed. And Amber and I had talked about adoption, but we certainly weren't pursuing it. We had always thought if a foster case led to that, we would, we would certainly consider it. But as soon, as soon as Amber and I talked about it that afternoon, we knew. We knew what we were going to do. Four days later, on the afternoon of Sunday, March 25th, 2012, we sat at a Starbucks with this young lady and another relative. And at the end of the conversation, she looked at us and she said, I want you to give this baby a home that I can't. And we were elated. The, the catch is she was already six months pregnant. And we realized there's a reason why God gives us nine months to prepare for a baby. There is a lot of work that has to go into that. <laughs> and again, what we didn't realize at the time is that God had been preparing us in ways that we didn't even realize. So we got the adoption process started uh, we felt like we were making good headway, uh, and, and the, the baby was, was due the end of June, and, and so we thought, we don't have long, but we got three months, let's tackle it. And right around the beginning of May, we got the call that birth mom had gone into labor early, and on May 12, 2012, our daughter, Adeline, was born. And we were at the hospital, yeah, praise God. <laughs> We were at the hospital, and we got to be the very first ones to hold her. And being seven weeks premature, uh, she spent some time in the NICU, and so uh, the hospital was gracious enough to give us a room, and, and, and we stayed there uh, so that we could hold her and feed her and just kind of help take care of her as much as, as we could without getting in the way of the incredible NICU staff. And Adeline was doing great, even, even as a preemie, um, but but that first week, Amber just was not doing so hot. And we just thought, well, you know, a lot of stress and new baby and late nights and early mornings and hospital food and all of that. And a week to the day after Addie was born, I walked into the room and Amber looked at me and she said, well, you're never going to believe this, but I'm pregnant. <laughs> it takes a lot to leave me speechless. Uh, but I had no words, no words. 
Around the end of June, we were finally able to bring Adeline to our home uh, in, in Owensboro. And we continued the adoption process from there. Amber's pregnancy uh, went as well as, as it could. And seven months after she was born, on December 12, 2012, we stood in front of a judge and promised to be the best parents we could possibly be for this little girl. And we made it official. And Adeline became our daughter. I'll never forget the judge <laughs> looked over his bench and we're holding this tiny little baby and Amber is sticking out to here eight months pregnant and he's like, y'all ready for this? And we're like, nope, <laughs> but we're going to do the best that we can. <laughs> On January 16th, 2013, Nora was born, eight months and four days after Adeline. We were all so excited, except for maybe Adeline. Uh, I don't know that uh, <laughs> she didn't know what to think about this thing. Like, how can we return it? <laughs> when the dust settled and all the bills were added up and came due for the adoption and the attorney fees, I don't know if you've ever done an adoption before, but uh, there's a lot of paperwork that goes into it, and every paperwork, uh, they want to check. They're like, so here, we need you to fill out this form and send us $500. Here, fill out this form and send us $1,200. And we were able to, to do it because God had prepared us for it. And when the final tally came in between adoption fees, attorney fees, hospital bills for Nora's birth, wouldn't you know that the amount was almost to the dollar of what we had met on March 16th, 2012? We had no idea what God was doing in our little family, but he did, and he was preparing us in so many ways. And all of a sudden, we saw a greater purpose for that six-month emergency fund that we had put back. It wasn't for us. It was for them. And it made our story and our struggles and our hardships all worth it. God changed our financial heart, our health, our habits. And he showed us what true financial hope looks like. He gave us the ability to hold that hope and call them our own. Financial hope is not just for us. It is to give hope to others too. And so as we close today, whether you find yourself strapped for cash or strapped by cash, may you experience the freedom that God desires for you as you practice this biblical wisdom that we've talked about over the last few weeks. And may your financial hope help bring hope to others as you seek to build God's kingdom, not just bigger barns, and you seek to become the best steward of the resources that he has entrusted to you. And as we do, I believe that we will reflect the gracious, generous heart of our God. Maggie's gonna come up and share with us how we can respond to that this morning. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.